This is Dear Analyst, episode number 108, and in this episode, I'm actually doing a rebroadcast of another podcast that I was on called Glitch, which is hosted by Basem Dehaiti. Uh, Basem is a senior software engineer at GitHub, and he typically talks about topics related to engineering like code, architecture, engineering management on, the, on his Glitch podcast, but... In this episode, we discuss data analytics, obviously something that's near and dear to my heart and which is why I wanted to rebroadcast this episode from his podcast and YouTube channel. And even though data analytics is a little bit outside of the topics he typically covers on his channel, there is a lot of crossover between data analytics and software engineering, as you've probably heard if you've been listening to Dear Analyst. And so we discuss topics that uh, relate to data analytics, such as the skills you need to succeed as a data analyst professional, um, what kind of things and what kind of tools you'll use on the job as a data analyst. But then we get into some more meatier topics, such as how whether or not a data analyst should learn how to code and what are some of the similarities between software engineering and data analytics and um, if you've listened to previous episodes related to analytics engineering or data engineering you'll pleasant, ple- pleasantly be surprised by all the different crossovers and uh, similarities between the two fields and I really hope that you'll get a chance to subscribe to Basem's YouTube channel and podcast, especially if you are a software engineer and you are interested in learning more about software engineering because he covers a lot of in- interesting topics from beginning beginner to advanced on his channel and podcast. So that is it for the intro. So take a listen to this interview that I did with Basem Dehaiti. You could do all the really cool and fun exploratory analysis and build all these cool charts, but if you can never explain to someone what you did and why it's important, then who cares? You know, it's so that's why being able to take away the key salient points, um, key takeaways from an analysis, and being able to again tie that into a story that your audience can understand will ultimately help you sell your message, so to speak. And so I think a lot of, again, entry-level beginner data analysts, they are so caught up in the weeds of like pulling the data, organizing it, aggregating it, cleaning it up, but they forget the kind of softer side of things, which is how do I tell a story about this data in a way that my audience will understand? Because um, you have to assume that, you know, the managers you're working with, your executives, they're not in the data as much as you are. Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, everyone. Thank you very much for joining yet another episode of the Glitch Stream Podcast. Um, I am your host, Basim Trady, and today I have a special guest. We have Al Chen with us. Al is an extensive, uh, Al, sorry, has an extensive experience uh, as a data analyst. Analyst. He worked as a financial analyst at Google for five years before uh, starting his own business and being an entrepreneur. Um, at the same time, he is currently a solutions architect at Coda while building his own podcast, newsletter, and 
online courses. Um, he is an avid Excel user. We're going to talk a lot about data analysis today. We're going to be talking about the tooling. What is the role of a data analyst? And we're going to dig deeper into this function and how, how data analysts do their work on a day-to-day -day basis. Al, thank you very much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Al, um, is there anything about you want to tell us a little bit about your background, where you're coming from, how, how you got into the field? I think you summed it up pretty well. I, um, I think the main thing that I would highlight in terms of my background, which I find pretty familiar or similar with other um, analysts, business analysts, data analysts, is that not everyone went to school for data analysis. I went to school for marketing and, and finance. And the first time I used Excel was my first job. I didn't study how to use Excel in um, college or anything like that, um, but I found myself into this world just by, you know, through my career. And I found that most data analysts um, also did not necessarily study Excel or analysis in school, but then just kind of found themselves in that field through a bunch of twists and turns and, you know, however your career kind of progresses. All right. And this question might sound a little bit vague, but just help me understand a little bit the role of a data analyst. like. What is it that you do? Yeah, I think it depends on which company you work for. For certain companies, it might be as simple as, uh, you know, you're the one that just crunches all the numbers and submits reports at the end of the month for your, your team or your company. Um, at other companies, it might also mean like you are playing almost a role as a data scientist and you're playing with like, you know, notebooks and Jupyter notebooks and putting together that kind of analysis. Um, and other times you're actually playing with like open source, open source software. Um, but I think when most people these days talk about data analysis or being a data analyst, it's typically you're playing around in Excel, you're putting together reports, pivot tables, and trying to ultimately tell a story with the data, find trends, um, answer business questions using Excel or whatever tools you have at your disposal. But usually it's Excel or Google Sheets. So um, yeah, that's kind of what I generally think data analysts are. And it's kind of, it changes again, depending on what company you work for, but um, a lot of this is working with numbers and, and data in Excel. Got it. Um, do you usually know what you're looking for when you're trying to work with the data or is is like, you, or you maybe have an hypothesis of what the data can, can, can bring, or do you just go on a hunt trip and then you figure out what you figure out? When I was a, a younger, earlier in my career, I think the, um, I didn't have a, I did not have a notion of like, what's my hypothesis about what I'm trying to discover or what is the question I'm trying to answer. It was always about just jumping right into the fun part, which is, let me just try to find the trends in the data, play around with the data, kind of do an exploratory analysis, which is, you still have to do that no matter what kind of analysis you do. Um, but there wasn't like an end goal inside. I wasn't trying to prove or disprove um, um, a fact or some kind of idea. But now when I'm faced with data analysis questions or a problem, um, I, first try, I first try to form my hypothesis and then use the data, you know, slice and dice it using pivot tables or whatever to prove or disprove that question or hypothesis. Um, so I think when you're early on in your career, you're still trying to learn the tools. You just kind of want to, you know, use the tools and try to figure out how to like, you know, find answers and find these really cool trends and do that whole kind of like money ball kind of analysis. But over time, um, you need to have that hypothesis because that's what helps you better answer questions that are faced by your team and by your company. 
And where does this come from, this ability to formulate hypotheses? Is it coming from your industry experience or is it coming from just having a deep knowledge of the tools or? Usually it's just from the business. When I say business, it might be, you know, the CEO has a question about why are sales going down this uh, last quarter? Um, someone wants to know, hey, what are we forecasted to, uh, what's, what's our forecasted expenses for the next fiscal year? And so you have to, figure out ways to answer these questions. Um, but then the question might also be very open-ended, like, um, you know, where, uh, where should we invest our resources in terms of uh, opening up a new location for our store? And so you have to form a hypothesis using your domain expertise about, well, you know, I think having a store in California, having a store in Germany or whatever might be a good reason, good places to invest. And then you have to use the data to prove or disprove that those are the, the right places to invest. Um, so I think it's a mixture of people just above you telling you what to do, and then you trying to figure out how to answer those questions. And then also your domain expertise um, in, in terms of like the industry you work in, the domain, um, prior work experience to help you figure out like what's the question you're trying to answer. Awesome. How much is storytelling and building interesting visual experiences um, you know, how much are they part of data analysis? Uh, it's a big part because you could do all the really cool and fun exploratory analysis and build all these cool charts. But if you can never explain to someone what you did and why it's important, then who cares? You know, it's so that's why being able to take away the key salient points, um, key takeaways from an analysis and being able to again, tie that into a story that your audience can understand will ultimately help you sell your message, so to speak. And so I think a lot of, again, entry-level beginner data analysts, they are so caught up in the weeds of like pulling the data, organizing it, aggregating it, cleaning it up, but they forget the kind of softer side of things, which is how do I tell a story about this data in a way that my audience will understand because um, you have to assume that you know the managers you're working with, your executives, they're not in the data as much as you are. Some maybe, but most of them are not. And so it's your job to take the highlights, just the highlights. You know, you're kind of the sports center. Uh, sports center is a show in the United States where you you know see highlights from the from sports. You see the top ten plays from the last day or last ten for last week, and that's what you want to show to your audience. And um, yeah, storytelling is actually really important because um, it's typically a skill that most analysts don't have. And um, I have my own podcast about data analysis, and it's one of the most mentioned, if not the most mentioned skill I hear from other industry professionals um, about how to be a good data analyst, which has nothing to do with being good at Excel, with being good at whatever. It's how can you tell a convincing story um, using data, using visualizations that, uh, again, help prove and sell your point. Perfect. And speaking of podcasts, I just dropped a link here for your blog. Uh, from there, you can just hop in and go to the newsletter that Al publishes as well as his uh, podcast uh, links so that you can subscribe to his show. He has some pretty cool episodes and brings in a lot of awesome guests as well. I'm going to also drop this in the description of the episode as well as the uh, description of the uh, you know podcast episode on all of your platforms. Um, Al, I have another question. How, what, what is the shape 
or what are the final deliverables of your work, right? So you take on the data, you crunch it, you do your analysis, you come up with the questions, so on and so forth. How do you present your findings? It used to be just a simple PowerPoint presentation, to be honest. Uh, you, I mean, tactically speaking, you're just copying and pasting data from Excel into PowerPoint or from Google Sheets into Google Slides. Um, it might be even more low fidelity where you're just taking your analysis and putting it into a nice long email that you're sharing with a bunch of people. And so, uh, you know, that, that's internally, that's typically what my, the output of my deliverable was. Um, it's if you wanted to kind of give like a visual to it. Um, but if you are a little more client facing or maybe working with external stakeholders, you might be producing really well-designed PDFs, in which case you probably are working with a in-house designer or you know maybe the brand team to make sure it has the nice colors and the nice formatting. Um, and then also if you're you know working with like, uh, if, if you're working as, as an investment banker and you're constantly producing decks, decks are just PowerPoint slides, um, those are also going through a bunch of design and brand kind of review cycles. And so those ultimately might get printed out and brought to a client meeting where the bank is trying to pitch for winning a deal. Um, so those are very, very clear kind of like on your desk deliverables. Um, but for, for me, I think when I'm working as a, when I was working as a data analyst or business analyst it was just simply, um, put it into a format that we can show during a meeting. So typically it was a PowerPoint presentation or Google Slides, uh, or sometimes I'm just presenting my Excel file in a meeting on the, uh, on the projector and just going through my analysis. Fantastic. Yeah, I think this is a great segue to start talking a little bit about the tooling. So you mentioned Excel a few times. Are there any other tools that come in as part of your work? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, Google Sheets obviously has uh, improved a lot since I first started using it in like 2008 or, or nine. Um, that has become more prominent, especially during COVID because, you know, we're, uh, it's real-time collaboration and you can share those files uh, very easily in the cloud. Um, one tool that I started using a couple of years ago, um, actually probably more than five years ago at this point, it's an open source tool called, uh, it used to be called Google Refine, but I think Google sold it and now it's called OpenRefine. So it's an open source tool and it's primary, the primary use case for this tool is to help you clean up your data. So if your data has, you know, a bunch of extra characters in the column or, you know, it's not properly formatted or there is, um, you know, just the, just basically the data is, is dirty. This tool really helps you clean data up. And, you know, cleaning up data is one of the most important jobs for data analysts and data scientists. It's like, um, I think if you, I think there's some famous survey where like a hundred data analysts or, or data scientists were asked, you know, what do you spend like most of your day-to-day -day job on? And you would think it's things like, oh, like I'm building like machine learning model and, you know, doing these crazy, these really cool, interesting uh, analyses. But I think like 85 or 90% of people saying we're just cleaning up data. And then with that clean data, I can then do the analysis. Um, so yeah, open or fine. It's a free tool to use. It's um, yeah, just like Google Sheets, it's like free and really helps you clean up data really well. Um, and in terms of reporting, I used to use Tableau, um, which people still use today, obviously. Um, but for, um, in terms of just like my day-to-day -day work now, since I uh, work for a company full-time, I do a lot of, uh, and view a lot of reporting in mode. 
uh, mode analytics, which is just like kind of like an online tool that connects your data warehouse and lets you just create data visualizations to let you see how your business is performing and look at key metrics and um, just kind of like see how things are going. And uh, yeah, I mean, within that family of tools, there's things like Looker and even with uh, Microsoft, I think Power BI is, I think, the uh, kind of a similar tool um, in terms of data visualization. Um, and so, yeah, those are probably the core tools I use these days for analyzing data, cleaning data, um, and viewing data. Uh, but there's always like, you know, one-off use cases where I need to use like, um, I don't know, like, NumPy for doing some uh, some random analysis. So there's always like these random esoteric tools that I consider esoteric, but are probably pretty common for data scientists. Um, but uh, once you have a firm understanding of how data is structured, how it's related, um, everything kind of falls into place, I guess, in terms of my my in my head, in terms of how to use a tool. It's just a matter of like the UI and understanding what where to push the right buttons and things of that nature. Exactly. And with the, with the plethora of tools that are available to model or to shape data, like for example, if you're using pandas, you have data frames. If you're using, using other tools, there are other ways to represent data. Why do you think spreadsheets uh, have withstood the test of time? Why are they so popular? Why are they so comfortable for people to work with? Yeah, that's the, uh, that's the million dollar question. I actually, two years ago, uh, I guess two years ago before COVID, I actually gave a whole talk on this <laughs> at a conference in uh, California. And um, I, I remember I had a slide in that presentation where I basically had a, a it's like a visual, it's a picture of a king. He's holding, he has like a, you know, a big staff and a hat or whatever, the crown. And instead of the face, I just overlaid like a picture of logo of Excel. And I just basically said like Excel is king. Like everyone tries to come after it, but no one can ever take it down. And um, there's a few answers for why I think it is the case. Number one is probably just because, you know, the spread, spreadsheet software came out like 50 years ago. You had things like Lotus 123, VisiCalc. These were all precursor, precursors to um, Excel version 1.0. And so in terms of just like the, the company being uh, around, Microsoft has been in the game for more than, 30 years now, I believe. Um, so just by the nature of like people knowing the brand name and it's installed on everyone's computers, you know, it's part of Microsoft Office, which everyone, if you have a PC or a ThinkPad or whatever, it's a part of that, uh, it comes with your comes with your computer, so why not use it? So there's that answer. Um, the second answer, which is more about spreadsheets, Excel, Google Sheets, um, maybe you're using numbers with, with the, um, an Apple, um, it's just accessible. It's uh, it's it's an it has a very simple interface. It's a bunch of squares or cells, and it it has such a. It's funny. This is actually something we we say at work. It's it has a very low floor, meaning it's very easy to get started in the tool, but it has a very high ceiling, which means you can just enter a list of numbers, but you can also create a really crazy pivot table and have that pivot table connected to. Uh, power Query or something, which can do more analysis on your data. And so you can build these really advanced uh, models and dashboards just from simple cells on a spreadsheet. Um, so I think the, the fact that a spreadsheet can be as simple as a list of groceries to a fully um, you know, enterprise-wide uh, reporting system 
is what makes it such a sticky tool. Amazing. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite versatile. And often I just find myself popping up a Google sheet, even for the most basic uh, tasks of even summing a few, summing a few numbers or calculating some averages or whatever. Right. It's very intuitive to work with and it's just yeah. easy. To just... It's, and it's a blessing and a curse too. I think, um, if you are a follower of hacker news and every once in a while, you'll see a topic or an article shared about Excel. And I love reading those, those comment threads on Hacker News because as you probably know, most of these uh, people on Hacker News are developers or software engineers or people that work in development. And the number of comments I see about people saying, you won't believe how my company's like multi-billion dollar business or whatever is still run on Excel spreadsheets. Like you see a ton of those comments, which is like kind of scary, but also telling as to how prevalent uh, Microsoft Excel and spreadsheets are in the enterprise. hundred percent. I mean, at the end of the day, like uh, spreadsheets are just so easy access, as you just mentioned, right? Like if a, if a director wants to crunch some numbers, they would just go back to Excel. They're not going to spend X amount of money and effort and days and weeks to just build a pipeline just to clean up the data you know, do the analysis, come up with the reports. You might do that if, if the data is sustainable for maybe a longer term, if it's part, a critical part of your business, you wanna you want real-time reports or maybe like um, uh, reports that are quite frequent to determine what are your next steps on the right. business level. But just for quick, easy hacks, I think Excel is, is perfect for that. Oh, no, I, I was thinking, I think one thing I, I, you made me think about is like, if, you're, if your manager wants to open up an Excel file, um, you know, it's easy enough for them to move around and understand. And chances are they might've been an analyst in their previous career. So they might still have some skills which you can then use as a manager to review your work. And so it's a, you know, it's a tool that every, anyone can use at any age, I guess you could say. So hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. So now that you mentioned software engineers and hacker news, let's talk a little bit about how do you feel like software engineering or coding in general is seeping into the role of a data analyst or do you also see those as completely separate functions and they have nothing to do with each other i see them definitely interrelating uh, in quite in many many ways actually and a lot of my knowledge about this um i'll be honest comes from me speaking with people on my podcast who are much more deeper in the field of uh, data science, uh, data science, data engineering, and they're telling me how you know I'm as a data engineering manager. You know your role is to empower your data engineers, but to ultimately help data analysts. Data analysts are kind of the data engineers' customer, if you will, and so data engineers are tasked with making sure that you can, you know, have a reproducible database, for instance, that um, someone could spin up, you know, on another side of the world, and they could pull out the most relevant numbers they need and pull out the most relevant tables of data they need to do their downstream um, analysis. And so um, having said that, some of that responsibility is sometimes being shifted from the data engineer to the data scientist. Um, so one tool that comes up frequently when I'm talking with folks is DBT. So DBT invented this kind of quasi role called the analytics engineer. These are folks who are data analysts who have started taking on data engineering uh, responsibilities and tasks where they have to understand how to uh, go into Git and 
um, pull out like a repo and understand how to navigate the command line, for instance, to be able to replay like how a database went through various transformations um, to clean up, you know, different irregularities about the data. And so not only are analysts kind of learning more about how to uh, use code to like do their job better to have these really clean databases. But I think um, data engineers too are learning like, okay, I know that I ultimately have to get the data into this format or it ultimately lands in this kind of report on mode or on Tableau or whatever. Um, they're also understanding how their data ultimately ends up in a data visualization tool. So it kind of works both ways. Um, even for myself personally, um, I obviously started my career using Excel, Google Sheets, or whatever. And then I started learning how to automate a lot of my mundane and tedious tasks using uh, Visual Basic for applications in Excel. And so that's kind of a little bit of uh, object-oriented programming. And then I moved to Google Sheets. Um, and within the Google ecosystem, their scripting language is called uh, Google Apps Script, where you can connect different tools together. And so I started realizing like I was actually kind of coding, but all I was doing was just taking data from a spreadsheet, putting it into uh, you know, a, a for loop or vice versa. I was like taking data from some part of my for loop and putting it and spitting it out onto a spreadsheet. And so um, I think analysts who realize that there's more to spreadsheets and just the cells, you can actually control how the data is moving around in the spreadsheet and automating that using code. Um, that's where you start seeing a blend between, I think, software engineering and just being a traditional uh, data, data analyst. And so um, it's a really powerful leap, I think, for people to make, but I think the use of tools like VBA, Google Apps Script, and Microsoft actually, I think, is kind of phasing out visual basic applications or moving to something called, I think it's just called Office Script, which has a more like JavaScript-like uh, um, like look and feel. So I think as they're moved, as we move more towards these kind of scripting platforms that are attached to Google Sheets and Microsoft Excel, um, I think it just makes also these uh, scripting platforms more accessible to analysts who want to kind of like automate their day-to-day -day tasks. Fantastic. And speaking of data engineering, I have um, an episode on that with my friend Ayman Farhat. He works at Google. He is a data engineer there. Um, I recommend that you check out that episode to understand a bit more about that role and that function and how data engineers can support and help data analysts, you know, prepare um, for whatever work that comes uh, their way. Uh, all right. So Al, regarding data analysts as well, what are some of the most fundamental skills in your opinion that an analyst should have? We mentioned a couple already. Uh, I think obviously having a pretty good understanding of how to use Excel and uh, SQL, I think are probably the two biggest skills I would expect data analysts to have. Um, SQL, especially, I think I've heard that mentioned 90, 95% of the time from folks I, I speak with um, on my podcast. And uh, that's just like the technical side of the role itself. Like if you can't even function in a spreadsheet, then, um, you know, hopefully the hiring manager is banking or, you know, uh, hiring you for your potential to be able to understand how to use a spreadsheet or SQL. Aside from that, it's being able to tell stories. Like I said before, um, being able to sell your, um, key takeaways from your analysis, from the trends that you're observing, 
that's also going to be very important. And that's a lot of like kind of just soft skills and understanding how to, again, take key points and turn them into insights and something that your team can take um, action on. So that's obviously very important. And then finally, I think um, this is kind of applicable to like really any working in any kind of, like uh, I guess, uh, knowledge type of uh, knowledge work type of job, which is just being a, being a cross-functional team player. Um, very rarely, I think, are data analysts kind of like sitting at their desk just crunching numbers. Like you have to interface with operations, with marketing, with sales, with the executive team, eventually um, just knowing how to balance the expectations, the needs, the wants, desires, the uh, complaints from different teams in your organization and uh, knowing how to like, you know, every this again, this is basic kind of like how to, how to be a good employee kind of stuff, how to manage your time, how to manage um, expectations. Like those kind of things are important because you also only have so much time in your day to do X number of analyses. And it's your job to pick the ones that will have the most impact for, um, for your team, for your business, and for your goals. Um, so I think those are probably the, mo the main skills. There are, I mean, there's a bunch of other skills um, here in between, but Excel, SQL, storytelling, those will probably get you pretty far. Fantastic. And how could someone go about uh, preparing to become a data analyst? Like, is there like some programs in schools that they can take, or are there any online courses that they could go through, boot camps maybe? I don't know. These days, there's so much information and stuff you can learn online. I think you can go kind of like the the budget route, which is just go on YouTube and start watching a bunch of Excel uh, videos. Um, there's actually one video I wish I had seen when I was an analyst, and it's super, super like uh, low, low, low quality. I think um, it's from the guy who started Trello. I want to say um, Joel. I can't get his last Joel like Polsky or something like that or Joel's Joel Spolsky. Um, it's like an hour long Excel video and it's pretty advanced stuff, but he basically goes through Excel and he kind of like comes off as very mean and kind of very like um, very blunt, if you will. It's not very like, oh, here, now you can do this in Excel, blah, blah. It's like, this is super easy. Just do this, do that, do that. And it's kind of how you'd expect someone who like, is really bad at explaining Excel, teach Excel. Um, but if you want to just kind of like learn the basics, like that's a really great way of doing it. Um, there's also, I mean, there's also, these are all bad examples, but they're, I, the reason I'm saying this is because they're, they're not just educational, but they're also entertaining. The guy that was, um, I can't blink out all these people's names out. There's this guy, Martin Scarelli. He was, Arrested, I believe. For... Yeah, there's a big scandal associated big scandal with Martin. For, yeah. Uh, yeah, for uh, he for... jacked up the pill. Uh, jacked up the pill prices, prices. for uh, uh, for some medication. I think it was for diabetes or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, he used to be a banker, and um, he has these like six hour long videos where he goes through a company's um, financial statements, you know, cash flow, income statement, balance sheet, and he basically shows you how to build a. Uh, a forecasting model from scratch. And he does it basically showing people what you would do as an entry-level investment banker. And there, these are these videos have hundreds of thousands of views because it's like the real life work of what a, a banker would do. And it's pretty boring, but it's, it's entertaining because he's kind of like 
live streaming and entertaining himself and the audience as well. There's a bunch of people commenting, I think, on these live streams, which they're all free online. Um, so these are, these are kind of like the budget ways of learning Excel. Most universities now have a data analytics uh, path or minor major, if you will. Again, when I was in school, we didn't even have data analytics as a potential area of study. It was just like you studied finance, marketing, maybe there was like, you know, business management or something, um, but there wasn't like this path. Now there's like boot camps, there's university courses, there's all kinds of resources. Um, so it really comes down to the best way that you learn. Um, probably the best way to learn is just by watching some videos if you're a visual learner, because these are visual tools and it requires you to see someone kind of do things. Um, I'll make a plug. I actually have Excel classes on a platform called Skillshare as well, over 40,000 students, by the way. <laughs> so if you want to learn the basics of Excel, there's that. Um, but one thing that I hear from a lot of people I talk to, if you really want to not only learn these tools, Excel, SQL, Python, whatever, but also be able to get a job, which is what people ultimately want to do down the road, is to create an online portfolio. Um, just like artists, photographers, designers have an online portfolio of their work, um, potential analysts should also have an online portfolio of, I had a question of how many, how Uber prices have changed in New York over the last 10 years. You can take an op open data set from Kaggle, which is this, uh, a website for data scientists and they have open data sets around all kinds of industries and fields you can take an uber uh, data set that has like a million rows crunch the data show your analysis online put it in your portfolio and a you know a, a hiring manager could just check that out and be like yeah this person is qualified to do the job because i saw that he or she can um answer a question use the tools to actually answer the question and then ultimately put it into a nice, you know, hopefully a nice format formatted way on your portfolio to share your insights. Um, so I think ultimately the goal is to hopefully get a job and you can use your online portfolio as a way to showcase your skills. Okay, that's a great summary. Thank you for that. Um, in terms of, again, going back a little bit to the reports and the tooling and, and the life cycle of, of these reports. So in software engineering, when we write the code base, for example, it's usually stored in a version control system where, you know, it's continuously maintained, so on and so forth. New releases are published. It's um, documentation is associated with the code. Do you have a similar life cycle for your reports, spreadsheets and whatnot? How, how do you usually maintain them, especially when you have a lot of them to manage? It really depends on the use case. Um, I think that most folks, especially that are um, building a model, so to speak, like you historically, it was really bad version control. You had like uh, 10 different Excel files. Each one had like a version one, version two, uh, version three. But I think now with um, future versions of Excel and also specifically with Google Sheets, uh, you know, you have the track changes features and you can always see what changes have been made over time. And um, believe it or not, like you could, um, the, uh, the version history in Google Sheets is actually very similar to the kind of commit history, let's say you have in Git. So in Google Sheets, you can actually see like, you can actually, um, first of all, Google Sheets just kind of take snapshots of the Google Sheet over time whenever you're using it. So if you're not using it for a few days, it's not gonna take snapshots. If you're using it constantly for a day, it's taking snapshots like every minute or so. And you can see timestamps for all these different um, 
uh, these different uh, times you're using the spreadsheet, the Google Sheet. And I'm pretty sure the same thing is for Excel. And then when you click on a historical historic version, you can see what cells have changed, what data has changed, because they, uh, Google Sheets actually highlights and colors those cells differently. I don't think, I'm not 100% sure, I don't think you can compare two spreadsheets and kind of do a diff comparison between the two. Um, but you can see previous versions. For, yeah, but you can see previous versions and you can, even, you can even right click one single cell and see the version history just for that one cell and see who changed it to the number four last week or whatever. Um, and then you can also name uh, different versions, just like you can give like a commit message to a commit. Yeah, so you can say like, you know, this Friday you saw the timestamp is, you know, 1245. You can rename that timestamp uh, snapshot to be like, made big, big model change. This is huge. And so whenever someone in your team sees that in the version history, they can see that as kind of like the commit message. And so that's kind of like how you can do version control. So I would say like most of these, um, if you're using Google Sheets and Excel in the cloud, um, all of this already has built-in version control, similar to how um, you know Git does version control for your code base. Let's zoom out a little bit and talk about the career of a data analyst. So how does the career path of a data analyst look like? What is the starting point and where can you go? Uh, yeah, I think it, Historically, it's always been uh, you start off as an entry analyst, and you're just in. You're the, you know, the old phrase is like you're just like the, um, the monk, what is it? The monkey cruncher, the <laughs> number monkey. Wait, number monkey. There's something with a monkey and numbers. Something with a monkey. <laughs> something with a monkey and yeah. numbers. But you're just the one that gets all the Excel files, and your job is to clean them up, make them look nice and pretty, format them, and um, let's say you're working. I, you know, I was an entry level financial analyst. I was the one that crunched numbers. I took all the dirty files and made them nice and clean. And then eventually you become a senior financial analyst where you are um, maybe not in the weeds as much and you're kind of doing a little more of the soft skills where you're communicating your results to a team, uh, to executives or to the management. Um, you're answering more high level questions. And eventually you'll move to like a finance manager where you're primarily just interfacing with um, executives. Um, I think from the data scientist or data engineering side, it's probably pretty similar. You're starting off as an individual individual contributor. And then as you move to a data engineering manager, data science manager, so to speak, um, you're managing a team of data scientists and data engineers. And you're more as uh, seen as kind of like the, uh, I don't know, like the executive uh, stakeholder for the data team and you represent their best interests when it comes to how much more headcount do we need for next quarter or next year. Um, so I think that's the most traditional path. And I think once you're past the finance manager, maybe you can move on to becoming like a COO or CFO and now you're, now you're at the C-suite. Um, but I think one of the best things about being a data analyst, no matter what level, is that you can parlay that into another field because if you go into customer support, if you go into operations, if you want to go into software engineering, having a good understanding of how to analyze data and um, be able to communicate your findings, like that, those skills I think carry over to many different fields because you have a good mix of the technical side of things, which is being able to work with data and then also being able to uh, communicate that with an audience who is not as familiar with that topic. 
Do you think it's? Uh, do you think data analysts have the capacity to shift or move between industry verticals? So let's say you start off as a data analyst in the financial sector, financial industry, or maybe finance, you do some financial modeling, but then you join another industry which has nothing to do with finance. Do you think the skills can are, are interchangeable? How much do you feel industry knowledge uh, contributes to your success as, a, as an analyst? I think it really contributes a lot if you want to stay in that industry. But um, like I said at the very beginning, I think I've seen countless number of uh, analysts, former analysts on, on my podcast who have jump industries because if you know how to use Excel, SQL, Python, Tableau, you can really carry those hard skills to any industry. And then you're, the hard part is learning the domain knowledge for that new industry, of course, and the business knowledge that kind of just comes with time and the people you meet, the network. And so I don't think it's, I think it's very easy to transfer domain to domain unless you're trying to go from, I'm just trying to think of something really extreme, like from beauty data analysis to like uh, nuclear uh, physics or something like that. You know, there's obviously a big change, that you, a big gap there in terms of the domain knowledge. Um, but I think as long as you have the, hard, have the hard skills, it's really easy to jump between different industries, in my opinion, because a lot of these uh, JDs, these job descriptions, typically the requirements are need to know, a requirement to have Excel, SQL, Tableau, Python knowledge. Uh, nice to have would be have also worked in you know, the beauty industry have also worked in the data industry, uh, have also worked in like the government. Um, one example I like to bring up is I uh, once spoke with a data engineering, uh, a woman who does data engineering. She actually started her career working in waste management. So she was like in the sewer processing sewage samples. And she realized the most fun part of the job was actually, uh, taking the data, then analyzing afterwards, after she left the sewer and was doing all the number crunching on the computer. And so she realized, I like that part of the job. I'm going to take, learn those skills and then get another job somewhere else. And she eventually moved to a completely different industry from waste management. Um, so I'm not, you know, obviously she had to relearn all the uh, business knowledge from the, in that new industry, but you know, she started a completely different field, but really honed in on her analytic skills on sewage management. Yeah, you will find data analysis in the most surprising uh, places. I mean, ev I think everywhere nowadays with everything being digitized, everything being tracked, everything being monitored, you know, you have data pretty much everywhere and, and uh, you can probably mine that data and extract useful insights from it. I worked in the container terminal industry for about three years and that industry blew my mind at how much they rely on data every day. Like they track the performance of pretty much everything, uh, performance of, of the, the ships, how much time they waste uh, trying to dock. Uh, they track the performance of the ship to shore cranes and they have very specific numbers for what is a great performance, what is a very low performance. And they have all of these reports being compiled in real time. And they even have just one dashboard that they look at and you can understand the whole, you know, business operation for that particular day. And from there, you can give a pretty rough estimate, not actually a pretty accurate estimate of how much revenue you made on that particular day uh, and how much revenue you lost on that particular day if, if the day, if the data is not going well. 
Yeah, I know in the in the freight um, industry, I met some guy before who um, he worked for a tech company that works specifically with freight companies, and they basically do IoT devices for freight, and so they would actually have real time streaming devices in inside the container to monitor the freshness of produce. And so now you have like real time streaming data coming in about like how fresh your bananas are. So it's like, then you have all this extra data about the actual inventory that's being shipped from point A to point B. 100%. Maersk is one of the leaders in this uh, and they are one of the biggest shipping companies in the world. And uh, basically the IoT project that they had was keeping, as you just mentioned, they had refrigerated containers, they call them reefers, and they pretty much installed, uh, you know, monitoring devices on these containers, and these containers travel the world, they are just like, you know, you could be like in Shenzhen, and then you can transport that same container all across the world to, to California or whatever, you know, not not the short route, the, the longer route. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's pretty fascinating how much data sure. is uh, as part of our world. All right, yeah. I'll, uh, the last question I have for you is, uh, what is really cutting edge in data analytics today in the space? Um, do you have any predictions for how this space is going to evolve in the future as well? I think it's a pretty trite answer, but I would have to say it's the the artificial intelligence side of things. Um, I'm not trying to paint the picture that AI will take over analyst jobs, but the um, just hearing about some of the machine learning models um, and some of these open source libraries that are coming out to help you you know, crunch your data. I mean, I'm sure everyone heard about the big story with the Google engineer who said the, you know, their AI was becoming sentient or whatever. Um, I think the pace of that technology is really interesting. And I actually recently interviewed someone from a venture capital company who primarily invests in AI companies. And their whole thing, um, it's called AI Fund, by the way. And I, the, the reason why it was interesting is, you know, you think normally think about AI from, you know, companies like Google or whatever, trying to predict like, oh, what's like, you know, the, what's search traffic going to look like for the next, you know, two weeks? What's the, what's the most accurate weather pattern going to be like? But I think what's interesting about AI is how it can be applied to all different kinds of industries. So we just talked about freight. Let's think about how AI, if we um, were able to take some of these models tweak them to be specific to the freight forwarding uh, industry, there's so much more uh, benefits we can derive from that. So I'm a big believer um, in some of these AI platforms that are coming out to uh, solve different use cases where you have so much data coming in real time streaming and you need uh, someone to be able to, a platform to be able to compute all that and spit out really interesting trends. Um, and then obviously there will be humans on the other end to kind of fine tune these models and to look at the numbers still to um, to make sure you're doing a good job. Um, but I think these AI models will just start trickling down from like, okay, they're great for these high level industries. Then they go down to individual companies. And eventually I think they might just go down to like a small uh, deli in the corner who might be, able to, might be able to tie an AI system into their POS system and start getting more better predictions about what kind of inventory to stock up on, what type of new goods to stock up, to buy, to purchase, to put inside your store. Um, so I think that's kind of um, really interesting. And I think these tools are also becoming more accessible to analysts and not just to data scientists and to uh, data engineers. 
So that's probably the most promising thing for me. Um, I, I'm just hearing about it, reading about it a lot, and um, we'll see how this plays out for you know the data data industry. Yeah, we'll see if your predictions are uh, are on, on are spot on in a few years. Al, thank yeah. you very much. Uh, your insights were wonderful. Thank you for sharing your experience and your knowledge in this no field. Um, again, I, I want to remind you that Al uh, has his course on Skillshare if you're interested in Excel. That, that's definitely highly recommended. He has his podcast and newsletter that I also recommend that you check them out. Al, thank you very much for joining me today and uh, until next time. Yep, thanks a lot, everybody. Take care. Mm -hmm.